Can we get around this stuff? Probably. Are you going to have a SWAT team on your job site anytime soon? No way. Here's the way we approach it. You're going to agree with this, right? We don't really care. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) We don't care about enforcement. We're going to do the right thing. This is the one and only, the original podcast where you can find yours and your business's true value. You're listening to Our Value. Brought to you by America's insulation source, IDI Distributors. You want to hear from the best contractors, suppliers, and consultants that dedicate themselves to more than just survival in the business world? Industry professionals that are dedicated to excellence in every aspect of their business? Our Value has them all here to share that same motivation and knowledge with you. Tune in and grow a more successful, profitable, educated, and recognized business. Listen to the Our Value podcast to become the industry leader in your market. Find your value with Our Value. Welcome back, podcast listeners. You're listening to Our Value, America's Insulators podcast. And I'm joined by a man that has survived three hurricanes, a volcano, uh, an earthquake, and whatever else it is, an ex-wife, the man, the myth, the legend, my sidekick, or I'm his sidekick, we haven't figured that out, Don Clymer. Don, welcome to the show. And that's all just in the last three months. Right. <laughs> that's that's impressive, and and yeah. and it is 2020, so that's not that weird, I guess. No, no, that's just a standard standard quarter standard, in 2020. Standard quarter. They get they have any deer down where you're at, Don? Yeah, yeah, little ones, little ones, not big ones. When you go up north to Mississippi, how far away is that? Hour, hour an hour and a half. So it's it's an easy Friday yeah. afternoon run. Yeah. Just like going from Chanhassen to Hudson. It's not bad. It's not bad. No. So are you getting more snow? Yeah. Uh, we got eight inches earlier this week. It's only October. It's kind of sucks. So instead of winter being seven months up here, it's now eight months. And so you want to hear a funny story about getting snow in October? Yeah. Is this back from your youth? Is this before the earthquakes <laughs> yes. and the hurricanes? And the- Yeah. So remember the blizzard of 90, the Halloween blizzard? You're referring to the 1989 Halloween snow blizzard? 89, okay. Tomatoes, tomatoes. <laughs> I thought it was 90. But um, so we had a football I was in ninth grade, no, 10th grade. And uh, we had a football game Thursday because it was, I think it was JV that time, probably. And uh, blew my knee out. And so I was in a, a stabilizer from my hip to my ankle. And then the snowstorm comes and that's not going to keep us out from having fun on Halloween. And I don't know what we were doing, throwing wet TP at cars, snowball at cars, something <laughs> like that, you know, and all of a sudden the cherries pop up behind us and we, everybody takes off. Well, all my friends have two good legs. <laughs> I'm hamstrung and I'm hobbling down the road. That's why they brought the tire- you with. Right. And I'm ha- hobbling down the road in the tire tracks. Cause that's the only place I could try to somewhat run. And I hear behind me, the cop gets on his loudspeaker. Climber, I was at the game last night. I know that's you. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that's my that's my Halloween blizzard story. Yeah, well, I did not get in trouble. Uh, he did not tell the coach. Yeah, but I'm, he knew exactly who was running down the, the street. <laughs> <laughs> well, now we can yeah. say you survived a snowstorm and a knee surgery. So we'll just keep adding to your legend as it is. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, you want to know who we got with us today, Travis? Yeah, I've been curious all morning as we've been yeah, chatting. I'm sure you have. Bated <laughs> breath. Today, uh, we have three guys, surprisingly. I was the counting on two, so I'm going to wing the third one here. But uh, guys from our largest and longest lasting spray foam partner, Carlisle. First, we have Bill Bringle. He's a man who's so important, he carries two titles, VP and GM of Carlisle Construction <laughs> Materials, according to his LinkedIn page. Um, and it's funny, the things you learn about people who you've known for years, and you start researching them so you can do a somewhat half-assed bio on them. Um, you mean I was like you're doing right this, now? But yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> I wasn't aware of this, but Bill is some sort of jujitsu or taekwondo expert. Because uh, he is a Lean Six Sigma black belt. So wow. everybody was kung fu fighting. 
that's where everybody's supposed to go. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah, I'm not sure how that would translate in the world of 2020, though. You know, <laughs> just saying, cancel culture, all that. Oh come on! In uh, no, in all honesty, he is an accomplished business executive known for developing rapid transformations and breakthrough results in all areas of manufacturing operations. He's a great guy, great business partner, and a horrible deep sea fisherman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more to come on that part. Uh, we also have Jeremy Parker with us. Uh, Jeremy is the South Central Regional Manager for Carlisle Construction Materials and is IDI's and my main point of contact for Carlisle. Jeremy is an avid hunter, fisherman, a dedicated father and husband, and a former home builder and a graduate of Texas A&M. So he's also Johnny Manziel's former towel boy. <laughs> Ouch. That's why you don't trust Don, Alex. That's why you don't trust him. I had to throw it in. I just had to. We can uh, we can edit it out. Now we we just uh, or we not. also have Alex. Well, yeah, we can leave that in. We also have Alex Drescher with us, the marketing brand manager for Carlisle Construction Materials, and Kevin just joined us. And I have not had the pleasure or opportunity of meeting or speaking with Kevin yet. But I'm sure he will be full of great insight, uh, maybe discussing some HFO and product lines, I think, down the road. But welcome, guys. Thanks. Thanks for having us. So what is going on in the spray foam world? Do you want to just jump right into it and talk about price increases? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Force majeure. Yeah. <laughs> it's fun been a fun stuff. year, right? It's been a fun yeah. year. What... Uh, well, let's just talk about it. Let's talk about the the first half of the year and, you know, what uh, what the projections were for you guys and for the, well, maybe for the overall market, because I know you guys are part of some of the the industry groups that uh, kind of track the growth and, and everything. Um, was there a, how far did we fall off pace for the first half of the year, I guess, is a good place to start with everything going on. I'll throw that over to Bill. Yeah, let me jump in. First of all, I just wanted to say how impressed I am, Don, that uh, you were even able to get into LinkedIn after that incident that you know, not a lot of people know about, but, you know, having been shut out for all those months, good for you. The statute I'm, of limitations is up. Oh, is that right? Yeah, we can speak freely about it now, Bill. It's okay. Oh, that, that's good. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a, a wild ride, right? It's uh, one of those years in our lives that um, we'll always look back and want to forget. Um, I would say the blessing and thank God we're in the residential construction business, right? Because almost every other sector, the economy has been blown out this year. And um, residential construction, thanks to low interest rates and a little bit of fear in kind of the higher density areas of our country and people wanting to get out and escape and get into some air they can breathe on their own, um, has boosted that market. And so we are uh, experiencing an off year but it could certainly be way worse than it is right now. And um, there's some you know, folks who are smarter than me who are thinking about 2021 and whether the election goes one way or the other. The predominant view right now from the, the big brain economists in D.C. Is, is that the Fed policy keeping interest rates low will keep mortgage rates low for years. And so, you know, fundamentally, there are some reasons why home ownership uh, will make a lot of sense for the millennials and other folks who are on the fence. So that could be good news for us for a while. Yeah, absolutely. So would you say overall as, as an industry, spray foam is flat, up, down from um, last year? You know, I'd say Q1 rocking, Q2, we fell off the cliff. Q3 yep. is kind of the in-between. So I would, I mean, I would say flat to a little up, kind of depending on the region. Um, it's, uh, it's nothing to write home about, but like I said, we held our head up pretty high. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that kind of follows where IDI went, you know, Q1 was, was great. And then April and May, um, not so great, but we, we've come up, we've surpassed where we were last year at this time. So we are up. Um, and that's thanks to, you know, our good 
listeners and customers and, you know, thanks to you guys too, for supporting us during, during some of these times and getting creative on, on how to keep the growth and try to keep the customers busy. Yeah, agreed. And more to come on uh, kind of the innovations and next phases of, you know, the product as we build it out and try to um, establish ourselves as an even larger part of the total insulation business, right? Um, spray foam is probably still right. only 10, 12, 14% of the total pie. And we're, we're certainly thinking about ways to uh, grow that even further. Can you touch on a couple of those ways just briefly and kind of give us some insight? Sure. I think uh, one of the one of the coolest aspects of what we have as a technology, as a product, is its air barrier performance. And, um, you know, our value aside, which is obviously better, the air sealing properties of spray foam allow it to uh, uh, fulfill the ever tightening business codes or sorry, building codes. Um regarding air barriers and uh, you know that ceiling is good for keeping allergens out and fresh air in and um, and just insulation values and energy conservation is all covered extremely well and and frankly the best by this particular product so you know we're working uh, legislative uh, angles like tax codes and other things we're working um, through local building code adoption in states that are holding back and are way behind on adopting, you know, 2015, 2018 building codes. So let's um, dig into that a little bit. How, how are you guys helping that out? What, what, what are you guys driving to get them back up or get them up to, to current codes? Well, what, what um, you know, Carlisle, along with most of the other major spray foam manufacturers are part of a, uh, spray foam coalition that's um, supported by the American Chemistry Council and the Center for the Polyurethanes Industry. And as a uh, industry association, we fund and drive projects and programs uh, that prioritize spray foam in um, a whole lot of areas. And one of them is um, a project that we just launched that allows us to get industry experts, technical experts um, on a plane and to the states as they go through building code adoption. So we're actually present for hearings and for, you know, legislative discussions as they debate whether to adopt these codes in full or partial. And we're, um, we're working that angle right now. Do you see a lot gotcha. of push when, when you're trying to speak to those that are obviously more beneficial to have spray foam to be able to, you know, use that as a, uh, your reasoning? Yeah, I think, um, I think it's an education process, to be honest with you. There, you there's, we've certainly come through the, uh, the decades of maybe some fear and some um, not perfect application of this technology. So we've come a long way. Obviously, training and accreditation still make a huge difference in our ability to deliver a quality product for a homeowner and a building owner. Um, but once you get past that fear and you talk about the science and the technology and you put it in terms people can understand, um, I think you get you get the eyebrows raised and uh, you realize you, you've hit a nerve and, um, you know, there's a long way to go. We're just beginning this kind of, I'd call next phase of the industry, getting itself together and really driving a collective wisdom around this. Yeah. I kind of see not to bring up politics, but it, it, it seems like the spray foam industry and the traditional, we'll call it traditional insulation because we sell that too. So I won't name it by name. I'll let people draw their own conclusions. seems like there's always a battle, you know, of trying to drag some dirt, throw some mud on it. But what I've seen, um, I don't know if it's the homeowner educating themselves on spray foam through the internet, but I've seen less battling um, uh, between, you know, spray foam and, and the other types of insulations. And I've seen a little bit more collaboration happening. Was that kind of something that was kind of, if you can't beat them, join them kind of thing, or is that just kind of a saying, Hey, let's all make the world better together. I think that's a really great point. We were just debating this at the SFC this week as a leadership committee. And it's, it's a tough call because you can join together and try to advance energy conservation 
legislation and tax credits and those kinds of things. Or you can say, time out. We have the better technology. We're not embarrassed to say it. It's lagging in its adoption over the last 10 years. We have to push harder for our own agenda. So that's a great point. I don't have the, the answer, but I can tell you we're having those conversations regularly. So, Bill, you've mentioned the, the coalition a couple of times um, and, and the manufacturers coming together to kind of unite and, and drive some of this change. There are. How do I want to put this? While you guys seem to be or may be together behind the scenes driving this, there is some. And maybe Jeremy can talk to this too. There is some uh, dissension out there in the marketplace with some uh, some of the manufacturers who may not be part of the coalition because not every manufacturer is part of the coalition, correct? Correct. Okay. So is there a benefit for a contractor to partner with a manufacturer and a distributor who support the coalition versus some of these other ones that are just you know, out there selling foam and not really trying to better the industry versus bettering their business? Well, yeah, I'll take a stab at that and let let Jeremy fill. Look, as consumers, we have choices, right? We can eat in a fine restaurant or go grab McDonald's, right? We can think about, hey, I'd rather wear a little bit nicer pair of shoes or I just go down to pay less. And um, when I think about our industry, there are options that are way cheaper, but potentially not the best choice for someone who's serious about creating a business, growing a business, and in the in the game for the long haul. Sure. So when I think about Carlisle, you know, not to put a post-it note up for um, you know, on my company, but Carlisle came into spray foam at a moment where they they said, this thing's ready to take off. We're ready to invest large money in uh, bringing our expertise in building and construction, in uh, contractor education and that kind of thing. We're ready to jump. And they did in a big, big way. And I think you're seeing some of the value of that now in the way we're bringing products and services to market and we're positioning our company as a leader long-term. So not everybody either decides to do that or has the money or energy or talent to do that. We certainly do. And there are others that do that. And, uh, you know, aligning with a major, uh, I think brings way more confidence in products and services that a contractor can bring to their customers for the long haul. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that as well, Bill. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask is, you know, some of these, I guess we'll call them the low price, low cost. Um, is it sustainable for them to kind of keep going at that at that pace? You know, in sales, they always say, well, you know, don't don't chase the the low price leader because eventually they'll they'll run out of business um, and run out of money. Um, sometimes you don't see that with spray foam because they get such an early um, following, and then. It's not until a full, you know, heating and cooling season comes through and then you see their foam failing. So that's when mm-hmm. you kind of start seeing some of the smaller, cheaper foams kind of drop off. So, um, you know, I just, you know, I just, I, it, it's one of those things we're kind of in the same boat. You know, Carlisle's a, a big name. It's a big company, IDI. We have, you know, many locations. We're usually the, you know, the grill in the room, the, the big kid, you know, the, the, the big bully on the block, as they like to call us sometimes, depending on which area you're in. But, you know, we, we, we can sustain most of the, the low price, you know, new competition coming in. But it, with spray foam, they seem to stick around longer. And I just didn't know if you had anything to add How to many that. Ma- well, I want to piggyback on that. How many manufacturers are there right now in the spray foam industry? 20, give or take? I would say 15, 12 to 15. 12 to 15? Yeah. It's like the amount of countries in the world. It changes on a quarterly basis. <laughs> yeah. Good point. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Carlisle, about the market and um, where we see that head and kind of some of the stuff you guys are doing in there. But Carlisle is, Travis, this is our third hundred plus year old company that we've had on. We've had Comores, which was part of Dow, right? Yeah. Or, 
DuPont. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and then Bullard and Carlisle. Pretty we, interesting. We know how to pick them. Yeah. We know yeah, who to so, park, but it kind of goes back to last to, to Bill's point, you know, aligning ourselves with people that can sustain and, and, and um, know what they're doing and trust and, and put the money in the research and the development of their products. So, so if you go back and look at IDI getting into spray foam, we sold our first drum of spray foam in May of 2006. And that was with a little company out of Phoenix, Arizona, UCSC. And through acquisitions and mergers and buyouts and everything, some of the same people that were with UCSE when we bought our first drum are still with Carlisle today. So essentially, if you look at it, you know, through that history, kind of the backbone of the product and of the people and the relationship goes back to 2006. Um, so it's, you know, in a roundabout way, you guys are our very first and longest supplier and there's reasons to that. Um, you know, when UCSE was bought out by Bear at the time and then it changed to Capestro and then Estella and then now Carlisle, you know, still a lot of the same faces, the same, same, uh, backbone to the product. So Carlisle saw the, the opportunity in spray foam. They are, what other segments of the building industry are they in to where they thought this would be complementary and something they wanted to jump into? Well, uh, Carlisle is, like you said, 100-year-old company, uh, rubber as the foundation. Uh, so EPDM, low-slope roofing, membrane roofing solutions for commercial construction, EPDM, TPO, PVC, that's the bread and butter of Carlisle construction materials. So you think about uh, hospitals, airports, schools, right? Mo uh, monster building uh, in metro areas mostly. Um, that's Carlisle's. They are the best, biggest, strongest in that space. And so they were looking at spray foam for 10 years. Really? And, uh, oh, yeah. Oh yeah, we were looking for 10 years and uh, just didn't see the timing right and a combination of having some cash for acquisition and seeing what they think is an inflection point in this technology. What I mean by that is it's kind of been in the 8 to 10% of the total insulation space for years. Yep. What, what Carlisle sees now is if they can bring to bear some of the manufacturing expertise, the supply chain expertise, the technology and product development processes that have helped them be successful in commercial roofing, they could blow the doors off the spray foam industry. As the leader, um, bring in the best and most solid products, as Pancake said, um, with the insurance policy then, bringing Carlisle to the game, if you're a customer of ours, you have insurance that we've done it right. We've exhausted ourselves in testing and credentialing and all through the seasons and the shelf life issues and the things that, frankly, some of these little guys just can't or won't do. Um, you can rest assured. I think that's a great point. Right? I think that's a great point, Bill, because <clears throat> it it's not all about the price per set or the, the price per pound. It's what happens um, when you need support, when you need documentation, when something goes wrong, who's going to have your back? And, you know, IDI partnered with, with Carlisle, um, you know, because it's like any relationship, there's ups and downs to it. And, you know, it hasn't all been perfect, but over the last 14 years, and, you know, I can't remember how long we've known each other, Bill and Jeremy, but it's been a long time. You know, we've, we've gone through some issues and, you guys have lost market share with us. You've gained market share with us. Um, but you've always been a preferred supplier because of those reasons right there. And I think we should dig into it a little bit for our listener. Maybe we have two on this one. Um, <laughs> um, but we should dig into some of the stuff that you guys do offer. You know, IDI, we pride ourselves on training, right? I think we I, I, there's no way to quantify this, but between our, our two day trainings with hands-on, I think we do a good job and you guys support us with that. But there's 
also stuff that IDI leans on you guys for, um, you know, you have the in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, you have the techs out there. Let's, I don't know. I don't know if Jeremy wants to talk to it about some of the resources that are available to our listener, um, through IDI and Carlisle. Yeah, I can say, uh, one of the things that, um, we can offer that uh, you probably don't get other places. Uh, a lot of our sales guys, certainly our sales managers, are, are more or less building science uh, experts, right? They've had the HERS training, they've gone through, they know about energy modeling, rating. Uh, and what that does is it brings credibility. Say a contractor takes us to a builder, we can certainly get a building science expert in to speak with that builder and then help them uh, understand the benefits of foam, uh, figure out what their performance targets are when they're talking about you know the whole house solution. Uh, a lot of times, I think folks get caught up on the I'm gonna spray foam's not a magic wand, right? It's not gonna fix every problem. It it is a key component to building a better house. It can be, uh, but there's a lot of other things that need to be considered uh, when a builder is looking to go from you know conventional insulation to foam. Some builders may want to do uh, hybrid assemblies. We've got some of the top uh, 20 builders now doing unvented attics with spray foam and uh, R19 conventional insulation in the walls. So there's there's different solutions out there. And, you know, sometimes when you sit down with the builder and you look at what they're doing, you know, years ago, gosh, I've been doing this for 10 years now, uh, foam was a huge delta between conventional insulation. And one of the reasons was, not the insulation itself, but the other things you had to change in order to utilize spray foam properly. So steel combustion appliances, uh, you know, water heaters that are high efficiency that, you know, they're bringing air in on purpose. They're, they're expanding it through the building envelope. There were other things that uh, you had to change. And now a lot of those high efficiency components have become more mainstream. So it's helped reduce the delta that a builder sees in terms of total cost increase to go from a conventional insulation to spray foam. And we're seeing, um, you know, a a lot of interest from some of the top builders now. I can say in uh, key markets, we're we're working with about uh, seven of the top 20 uh, builders in in some key markets right now. Well, expand on that, Jeremy, a little bit of why why some of these national builders, because that's where... I don't know if our listeners know, you know, you guys spend a lot of time kind of trying to drive that pull through sale, right? Get the builders convinced. You have the products, IDI sells it, our customers go and install it, right? What are some of the, what's been a change in the last 12, 18, 24 months with these national builders of why they're taking a harder look and installing more spray foam? Well, there's a couple of things going on there. I think, you know, when I first got into this 10 years ago, uh, it was about energy efficiency. Uh, and we had, oh, uh, Meritage went to full foam envelopes, you know, 10 years ago, and it was about building a better, tighter house. Um, and Beezer's also been doing full foam uh, in some markets for that same amount of time. And then we kind of had a lull where, you know, all the builders knew about it. We'd all told them about it. And they, for cost or for whatever reason, they elected not to move to it. I would say, and there's a couple things driving it. In the last probably 12 months, 18 months, um, codes have kind of caught up. So we've got, you know, the 2012, which seems like forever ago when we talk about in, you know, years. Uh, but when you look at code adoption and, you know, uh, usually runs two to three cycles behind, well, it's, cycles every three years. So that's six to nine years. Sometimes it's running behind um, current time. So 2012 was the first time we had ACHs in in code, right? So climate zones three and above, which is basically anything north of Dallas in, in the U.S., had to hit three ACH. And then what we actually saw was, um, you know, builders were struggling to try to get there. A lot of municipalities you know, Bill spoke earlier about the adoption, uh, complete adoption of model building code. One of the things that a lot of municipalities were leaving out was actually the air change rate and the blower door testing. So that's one of the things the FSC is trying to, to get in and make sure that it gets adopted as a whole because that's one of the key components to uh, to energy efficiency. So I think, you know, meeting codes is, uh, is a big key component of that. And we're just now starting to get the actual, you know, testing done, code adoption done. 
um, where the builders are, are trying to meet that. And you can do it with conventional insulation, but it's not a slam dunk. You really got to pay attention to what you're doing. Um, you know, I've talked to some of the top 20 builders and they said, Hey, they told us it would be easy. It's not that easy. It can be done. Um, but with spray foam when applied properly, the ACH rates, uh, it's a little bit more dummy proof and knowing that you're going to pass that final blower door. Uh, we've got some data from, uh, one of the large builders has done thousands of homes and, uh, multiple contractors, you basically hit two ACH or less without trying uh, real hard. And that's across, you know, multiple areas. So we know that, it, uh, that we can get there with, with foam. There's this um, oh, perception out there in the marketplace that I see, I think, <clears throat> excuse me, where, you know, it's kind of like a contractor, like, hey, I'm going to go buy direct. You know, I'm, I'm big enough. I'm going to go buy direct. Um, and that's not always the best case for, for any size contractor, because there's certain benefits that come with dealing with distribution, um, which we don't have to get into now, but there's also, you know, some of our contractors out there think that that's the the tip of the sword. If they can land a national builder, like, Hey, I want to get in that. That way I know I've made it. What are some of the things that the contractor should expect? And cause it's, let's be honest, it's not for every contractor out there to try and go and get a contract with a national builder. Right. There's... No, these are, this is high volume operations. Uh, you know, I've talked to some of the contractors that say, gosh, I wish I would have stopped at four rigs. That was, that was when my business was ideal at four. And now they have 15 rigs and they're trying to service some of these uh, national guys. And it becomes a, like, you got to kind of feed the beast, right? With that type of volume. And it's going to be low margin. And the, the these builders are basically the, <laughs> they're accountants that happen to have hammers, right? So it's, it's all about <laughs> the money. I mean, they just happen to build houses on finance, rebates, uh, uh, driving down costs. That's what they do very, very efficiently and well. And they've got a lot of practice. Right. And not, not saying that so our contract... I would say be careful what you wish for, I guess, if you're wanting that, that type of volume work. It's not yeah. for everybody. Yeah. it's. I was just going to say, not saying that our contractors shouldn't go out there and attempt it, but they should be prepared because it's not going to be like dealing with your typical home builder who builds 10, 15, 20 homes a year. And you can kind of spread it out. Right. Travis. I'd, I'd look at it if I'm a, a small to medium sized contractor and I'm in a market where I, I do have a spray foam guy that's doing the, the, you know, national builders, that's opportunity for him. Cause that guy's going to be busy, you know, doing his thing with the, with the builder. So um, to Jeremy's point, it's, it's not for everybody. I've had a couple of them, <clears throat> my guys try it and decided, yeah, this is this isn't my business um, uh, moving forward. This is just all out chaos, right? Because there is so much volume there. So, to your point, Jeremy, you got to be careful what you ask for. Yeah, and the ones I've seen be really successful with it, it is they do not let it be uh, more than about thirty to forty percent of their overall business. Uh, I've seen guys that get caught up where it's you know, 80% of the time they're out on these production jobs and then you can have the carpet yanked out from under you overnight. Uh, then you're laying guys off. You're trying to sell rigs, right? Your whole business right. was based off of that guy. If you're in that 30% zone, you can kind of take the hit, uh, and, you know, and have that diversification work for you. Nice. You know, we, we did, we kind of jumped ahead and I was going to, uh, ask Alex if he wanted to talk about some of the resources available at Carlisle. Um, some online tools. Um, I don't know if we can, we can, we can take this part out if you want, but if you want to hit on the loyalty program at all, just kind of, kind of some of the benefits of partnering with IDI and Carlisle, what, what our contractors could expect. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll back up even at a higher level to answer your question. A couple of questions ago that Jamie was asking or answering for you. Um, I think from a Carlisle perspective, what we pride ourselves on are a couple different pillars. So one is obviously our products. Um, we obviously want quality product and we want to spit out innovative products as well year after year so that we're uh, meeting whether that be codes or our customers' needs. Um, two is training. We really pride ourselves in training and education and that's for all levels of our customers. So that's from distribution like you guys and partnering with you guys to help with, with training um, to our end user customers, homeowners, 
um, contractors, builders, um, you name it. We want to make sure that we are training and educating them as well as having the technical resources. Um, so some of the things that we try to tie back to from all these things is really our education from all of our documentation, sell sheets, everything that's available via our website. Um, and then something that we do that you mentioned is our Carlisle Pro program, which is our loyalty program, um, where we want to make sure that we're retaining our contractors at a level that they want to come back to us for all those pillars that I just talked about. They want to come back to us for training. They want to come back to us for education, technical resources, um, and for our quality products and our innovative products. So hey, throw, throw a plug out there, Alex, where can they find this? What's the website? So our overall website is car wherever they can find these resources. Yeah. So our website is www.carlisle.sfi.com and you'll find the resources, um, ranging from application guides to SDSs to technical data sheets uh, to sell sheets on why the benefits of spray foam. Um, and it walks through all the benefits of our products and, uh, and the resources that we have. Um, something that we recently launched as well is um, our specifications and details for commercial applications. And those are also available on our website as well as uh, third-party um, resources to access our specification and details as well. Uh, so a lot of hard work was put into that throughout the past year. Um, being an industry leader in commercial uh, roofing products, uh, we found that specifiers are really looking for these specifications and details uh, for their projects. And so the development of this for um, our applications of spray foam uh, was really crucial to growing that side of our business as well. Yeah, you, you know, you made a good point there that we haven't hit on yet is, you know, Carlisle, like I said, has been around for 100 years. They've you guys have worked out the kinks in your other building uh, or your other silos of business, right? And spray foam is just coming right in. And I, I was always told about when the transition was happening, the Carlisle experience. Wait till you get the Carlisle experience. And it took a while, not going to lie. There was some <laughs> road bumps there, um, but we, we got it. And, and we're starting to see the Carlisle experience where it's not just... Um, you know, I don't want to hopefully not offend anybody, but it's not just an equity firm or a business, a startup business that is is new and doesn't understand all this stuff. You guys have had a hundred years of working out this, these kinks. And while it's taken a little bit of time to implement that through all the changes with, um, you know, Carlisle buying a sell and stuff, now we're, I think we're starting to hit full stride and, and to see that and our contractors are starting to benefit from that as well. So, um, it, it has been a, a, a good experience with that. No, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Don. Uh, the Carlisle experience is something that's really important to us. Um, so I actually, before jumping on the spray foam team, I worked in the commercial roofing side of our business under our commercial roofing brands. And the Carlisle experience is extremely important to us from um, anything from customer service to having all the resources that our customers need. And that's exactly what we're trying to implement on the spray foam side of our business as well. Uh, making sure that every aspect of our customer that's touching anyone from spray foam, whether it be our website or our sales reps or executive team or marketing team, you're getting that Carlisle experience that's a little intangible, but you realize that it's a very good experience to work right. with Carlisle, uh, where you see that value in working and partnering with us. So that's exactly what we're looking to achieve here. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk. Um, let's talk a little bit about the the experience. Um, we, we had Camores on, like I said, was it, it was last year, wasn't it? Pancake. Yeah. It was last, like last spring, I believe it was. Yeah. Yeah. And we were talking about the changes that were coming, um, in 2020 with snap rule 21 and the adoption of HFO and, and all that stuff. Now we're, we're three quarters of the way through the year. And I don't know if who would want to speak to it, if it's Kevin, Jeremy, Bill, whoever, on um, where we're at with HFOs, um, what 2021 is looking at, and just kind of give us an, an update on that. It's been a while since we, we hit on that subject. Oh, it's changing um, daily, really. There's a whole bunch of states are actively looking at new legislation. So it's, it's really hard to keep track of what's where each state really is. So the American Chemistry Council has a good website where they kind of track 
you know, day-to-day movements and um, state adoption of, of new blowing agent regulations and phasing out HFC. So it's a moving target. Uh, but we, we track What it. website is that, Kevin? Uh, it's the Center for Polyurethanes Industry under ACC. I, I just Google CPI ACC and you'll find me um, a big map, interactive map of okay. where each state is. Um, so, yeah, it, it's a moving target, but we have a HFO product line and we are continuing to find uh, new and improved products based on the HFO technology that should be released uh, early next year. Circling back to the codes that Bill was talking about earlier, do you see codes driving the HFO a little bit more? Are you trying to push for that? I mean, are you using the coalition? Are you independently as a company trying to, you know, again, going back to the environment, right? That's kind of what this is all driven by. Yeah, I think this is a great example of where um, it's not just for environmental regulations. I think all of our research and the commercially available products based on HFO technology just are outperforming, you know, um, 245 FA in HFC. It's higher blowing agent, um, lower exothermic reactions in when you're actually spraying, so reduced risk of scorching and bad installs. So yeah, it's it's primarily driven for environmental reasons and global warming potential, but you're getting a better performing product with typically higher R values. A little extra cost though here and there. Yeah, it's it's kind of interesting to see just over the last we'll call it twelve to fourteen months or whatever it's been since we really started pushing this. You know, obviously before twenty twenty, getting ready for the you know uh, the push that we thought we were going to have of it. Um, I'm still seeing a lot of customers adopt it because of what you just said, because it is a, a more stable, better performing product. And obviously the benefit for them is, you know, more yield, um, yeah. which if you're, if you're running a business, why not have a product that's going to give you the most bang for its buck, even though it's more expensive, you know, you do the math on it and you're really, it's really not any more expensive, but you know, like everybody trying to analyze their business when something has a price tag on it, that's a little bit more they're a little bit more cautious on on trying it or using it. So I, again, we got guys in Minnesota, and there, there's no, you know, real demand for HFO as far as a code. But you seeing you're starting to see a lot of guys using it. Well, here's here's a question I have with HFO, and I don't know if you guys can answer it or not, or want to speak to it. But you know, it was this big thing coming out into this year, and you know, everybody's played by the rules so far about not shipping into the the states that can't have it and all that. But my question at the beginning and my question now, because I have not heard of one instance is who's enforcing this outside of you guys, outside of the manufacturers, not shipping into the states that, you know, can't, can't take it shipping 245 into HFO states. Who's truly enforcing it? Because we have, you know, we have customers or we have branches that service multiple states. Take Washington, right? They ship into Montana, you know, so we we can only take HFO into Washington, but we have customers in Montana that don't want to spray it. They still want to spray 245. And I haven't, I haven't gotten a great answer other than it's going to be basically a paper trail audit of saying, hey, Carlisle, let me look at your shipments. Did you ship 245 into Washington state? Okay, you did. Who did this go to? You know where I'm going with this is it has is it truly being enforced out there? I guess is my question. They're going to use a COVID tracker, Don. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's a great question because it's just the reality in the street, right? Can we get around this stuff? Probably. Are you going to have, you know, a SWAT team? Uh, on your job site anytime soon? No way, right? So, but here's the way we approach it, you know, and I know you're going to, you're going to agree with this, right? We don't really care. Probably not. (laughs) (laughs) We we don't care about enforcement, right? We're going to do the right thing. And I know a company as strong as IDI, like us, um, we're going to play by the rules and we would strongly encourage every single contractor, right? To do the right thing um, and forget about whether or not you could possibly get caught, right? I get what you're saying. Because somebody might come and knock on your door and say, let me see the drums in your trailer. That's not the reason to do it. There's a lot of other reasons to do it. And you're right, Bill. By no way am I, you know, 
saying, you know, even though your state has adopted it and you're supposed to spray HFO, you, you should, uh, you can still do 245. No way am I saying that. I'm just trying to figure out, like our contractors asked me, like, well, what would happen if, you know, I, I did this? And to that point, I don't know if we're there on the enforcement, but that doesn't mean, um, you know, it's you should do it because it's it's better for the environment. It's what the codes and regulations and all that say. I was just wondering if there was, you know, I get questions. Hey, is it OSHA going to be checking on this? Is it going to be the building official? You know, who who's going to who's going to come out and check? And my answer to them is, you know, we're we're taking that at the top level. We're working with Carlisle. You know, they're not shipping into those states, that type of stuff. You know, but hey, here's a, here's a question that I have. What, what should our contractors do? Because we all know there's contractors out there in those states still spraying 245. If our contractor is playing by the rules and, and spraying the HFO product and he's competing against a guy who's breaking the rules, who should he raise a flag to? You know, does he raise it to us? He can always, obviously always call us. He could call a Carlisle rep, but you know, is that the right way or is there a different way to do it? My, my quick answer would be education and training is our number one bullet. And when you're bidding a job, you got to know what the rules are, right? And if somebody's coming in with an HFC option and undercutting the right answer for that application, that building owner's got to know. And um, I guess I'd be in the street making sure every single job I'm looking at, I understand what the rules are and making sure my potential customer does too. That'd be my number one. So essentially if I'm a contractor and I'm bidding it and um, I'm starting to see a, a trend of, wow, I'm getting beat out on some of these jobs. That might be some of the things that you start looking for is what kind of foam did this other guy, you know, bid and start asking that question and then start pushing the envelope of, hey, this is code that has to be this HFO versus what, you know, and that's, again, you got to have, find that trend and look for, you know, why you're getting beat other than maybe you just suck at bidding. I don't know, but that (laughs) never happens. Call IDI. We have a program and training for that, by the way. So. But I think it, it goes back to, I think you guys made a great point before about, hey, why would you align with a, a major kind of a, you know, maybe a little bit more expensive, but worth it company. And it, it's, I think at the contractor level, it's the same exact question. It's, um, look, I do it right. Uh, I, you know, when the job's done, it's done right. And it's done to code and it's done with um, the the same exact materials and schedule that I bid it at. And uh, so, I mean, if we could kind of trickle that down all the way through the chain, right to the building owner, I think that says a lot about us collectively as a a partnership. Yeah. It's finding the right customers, right? You want to partner with the good ones. So do you see a push? I mean, uh, Kevin, I I know you kind of talked about this a little bit, but I I mean, are we going to see a stronger push in 2021 for an HFO? You say it's changing every day, but is there, you know, what... What is your guys' stance on it? Is, it? is it more of a commitment from you guys, from the other people? We talked about coalition members. You know, is, are other entities pushing for this, or is it just kind of, well, we'll wait and see what happens? So from our perspective as a Carlisle company, we our point of view is to push heavily and endorse the faster adoption of HFO technology. Um not just for our, you know, spray foam insulation business, but our, you know, our, our roofing foam adhesives um, are all based on having HFO option. So not just for wall insulation, you know, residential, but for our adhesives, our sealants and our roof foam, it's, it's a big push in HFO uh, only because of the performance benefits. Um, okay. So yeah. We got, we're going to have a, probably another marketing campaign uh, from the Carlisle level um, in next year for promoting the adoption of HFO for performance reasons. That's, I was going to say, that's kind of, I think how we had started to see some wins was just explaining, Hey, listen, your, 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 your breakdown, your board foot breakdown on your cost. um, It's, it's either better or the same. 
you know, if you go from a regular um, foam to an HFO, and it wasn't until you really started talking about it that way where people started having that aha moment of, well, yeah, why am I not spraying this? So, and it's small wins. You know, we didn't change. There wasn't a big wave of change, especially where you didn't have to use an HFO. But I think that's, you know, to me, you're on the right track with saying, well, let's just talk about the performance improvement, you know, not about code, not about, you know, environmental impacts, but performance wise. Well, and there's global pressure on uh, HFC. So we're going to continue to see uh, everything move more towards HFOs. So I think what is it, 12 states or something now that have either implemented something or or talking about implementing something for HFOs. But interactive map is is a pretty cool feature that uh, we mentioned earlier. I just think it's interesting because, you know, I can recall November, December of last year, we were, I mean, we were literally pushing out products, HFCs out of our warehouse and we're going to be all HFO. And then the thing just kind of died on the vine. Um, So I just, where Don, I think was going is, is it, you know, who's going to police it? You know, we got to self police it. We got to be there, you know, make the right choices, do the right things. But I think the angle that Kevin's talking about is going to be, you know, it's like that new product, right? The new and improved. It's the next, you know, the iPhone 12 pro max, you know, it's the latest and greatest. (laughs) And that's that's what you have with an HFO. Essentially, is you get better yield. It's more stable. Um, you know, certain things that uh, I don't have all the details. I'm just going off my own experiences with guys that have switched over to it. But you know, the benefits of bringing maybe four sets of foam to the job instead of six, and things like that, because you're you're improved yield. So um, I think we could beat this HFO to you know to death here, but. Well, in the fourth generation, this is the first time in a long time it's it's actually had performance benefits. So guys that have been in the industry a long time, when they were forced to switch the last time, it was much more rigid, right? You got fined so much for having uh, 141B uh, in your possession going to 245FA. 245 uh, wasn't as friendly to spray with as the 141B. Um, so from that mindset that the, some of the contractors may have, I can see kind of why they're like, well, who's going to make me do this this time around? Cause right. if they live through that, it wasn't a pleasant experience last time, but, you know, talking to the chemists, they're like, you know, every time we've had to do a blowing agent change, we've had to give up something we've lost some performance. It was harder to work with, uh, you know, roofing foam used to never get blisters. And what the 245 FA now we have blister issues. They said, this is the first time that it is actually um, we're getting a, a bump the other direction in performance. So I think it's just the education, um, you know, kind of like, why would you not want to do this? Uh, it makes a lot of sense, but <clears throat> yeah, because it's on a state by state basis, uh, the guys that kind of live through the, the federal government's going to find you, you know, a thousand dollars for every quart of 141B you have in your possession. This is a much looser deal so the answer, which is never a good one, is it depends, right, what state you're in. Uh, some are going to drive stuff a lot harder than others. Makes sense. Yeah, more more to come on that. So I, my next question for you guys, we've kind of, you know, led the conversation of where we wanted it to go, but who wants to look into their crystal ball? Talk about 2021 because we're seeing stuff now that we haven't seen in, you know, two, three years, which are price increases and, you know, shorter avail- or tighter availability on some of the raw materials. You know, what are we, what do you guys see for 2021? If you want to just kind of briefly hit on that. Well, it's uh, <clears throat> briefly hits probably a good way to think about it. Cause we're, we're feeling a lot of pressure right now. We, right. Uh, we have a supply chain <clears throat> upstream of us in um, major chemical feedstocks that become MDI and polyols and, and some of the other raw materials that we use to make our product. It's really tight and constrained and there are um, difficult times, I would say in the next three to four months, just getting everything we need to supply the demand that we see right now in our industry. So that certainly puts upward pressure on prices coming into companies like Carlisle. And it's certainly something we have to consider, you know, in terms of how we price our products. Um, Now, the good news is that should not 
at least some of the forecasts that I look at, it looks like that's going to be a uh, several month, but not several year dynamic in supply demand. Sure. So uh, I would say hold on tight over the next few months and then maybe things would moderate off, uh, off come mid next year. Do you think the fact that we're rolling into, I mean, we're busy right now, but as you roll further into winter, especially in the colder States, you think that that slowdown will help that a little bit or does that really not affect it? Yeah. I, that's what I've been kind of hoping, but then I I'm looking at the order book. I'm looking at projections on, um, inventory being so low relative to demand for home building. And I know lumber and some other key materials are also bottlenecking construction, but um, there's just so much pent up demand uh, that I think the typical winter slowdown, yes, it's going to happen, but I don't think it's going to be enough to offset uh, the, the supply side of this thing. Well, and it really, who knows? I mean, we're in a pandemic era and all of a sudden the housing market went nuts. I mean, who could have predicted that? We thought everything was going to slow down and, you know, it's kind of been the, I guess the one thing and all the stuff that I read, you know, the housing market has really kept us from falling deeper into that recession. Thank God. Um, exactly. So I just wonder if the... I don't know. You have some people thinking, hey, this this is too good to be true. I've been so busy for, you know, since July for so long. Now we're into our the thick of it. Is the bottom going to fall out or is this just going to slow down to a trickle or is it just going to continue on because we're so backed up from, you know, March, April, May, where there really wasn't anything going on because I think it was more fear than it was lack of things to do. It was just a halt in production and now they've caught back up and I think it slowed down enough to – you know, the mindset of people wanting to build houses, I'm, I'm one of them. You know, I was one that decided to go out and, and change where I lived based upon, you know, we were at home all the time and maybe we really don't like our house as much as we thought we did and let's see what's out there, you know? Yeah. So I'm, I'm part of that that movement or that, that, I don't know if it was boredom or realization or whatever it was, but, um, you know, I've got guys asking me, where, where did this come from? You know, where what do you think why do you think the housing market went so crazy? Um, is no, is it directly related to COVID and everybody staying home? What is it? I mean, people are out of jobs, people are losing money and yet we had this housing boom. It, it really just doesn't make any sense. So I don't think you predict anything at this point. Yeah, it's a good point. Good point. I think there's some fundamentals that are, are still in place. As I mentioned before, the, the very low interest rates and the fed policy, if, if the, the folks that I listen to are right, that's going to be attractive in terms of mortgage rates and, and a, you know, money availability for a, a long time. Um, there's lack of inventory and pent up demand. And you guys have seen that in home prices all over the country going up 5, 10, 15% the last three to six months. Um, folks are still wanting to escape into fresh air a little further away from the city. That's real. Yep. Um, and unless the country goes into a lockdown or a shutdown again, which is, I, my God, I hope not. Um, I think, you know, employment's pretty decent. Companies are finding a way, um, cutting costs where they need to, still providing service to their customers. You know, if the economy just doesn't go completely backwards, I think we're going to see strength in housing for many, many months. So, you know. We'll see. You're right. Uh, who knows? But um, we're pretty bullish on on next year. I think if anything, if this year's taught us anything, I think you just have to keep pushing forward. It's just such an interesting year um, and trying to watch, you know, people like yourselves and some of the other uh, companies that we work with trying to predict <laughs> what Don is asking is, what do you guys think is going to happen in 2021? Well, who the hell knows? Yeah. But we're going to keep pushing forward. We're not going to stop what we're, you know, IDI is doing the same thing. We're going to keep making bold moves and taking some risks and they're calculated, but it's, it's served us well. Instead of just sitting back on our haunches and waiting, we're going to push forward. That's a great point. I'm, I've just got to back you up by, by saying, I think of two things in tough times, you know, I think about controlling the controllables. So you have control of certain things in your business, right? You make sure you're doing everything you can to control what you can and then don't worry about the rest, right? Worry 
doesn't help anybody achieve anything. Just stay true to your vision for your business and what you do well, execute well on that and, uh, you know, ride it out is the way I look at it. Well, we've got a good partner to do it with. So what else did we, uh, miss or anything else you guys want to cover or should we wait on that for episode two get into some oh, we're of the, getting invited back yeah. yeah we can talk about some of the equipment maybe that there's rumors out there people are starting to see um you know dig into that a little bit deeper maybe on the next one what do you think you know head nods uh, don't correlate on a podcast very well <laughs> sounds good <laughs> there we go that's what we're looking for uh, well guys thank you very much um very informative it's been a long time coming i think we had this scheduled probably two or three times and then uh, the pandemic hit and travel came to a screeching halt and um schedules just didn't line up but i'm glad it finally lined up now um again thanks thanks for being a good partner over the years um you know, good friends, both personally and professionally. I, I appreciate everything you guys do for, for IDI and for our contractors. And if the, uh, the, the website that uh, Alex mentioned, carlislesfi.com, you can go on there, find some more information, learn about uh, more of their products. You can contact your local IDI rep um, and go from there. So guys, thank you very much. Yes. Thank you guys. Thank you for having us. Anytime. Thanks, Round thank two you. coming soon. Boom. Boom.